0: Welcome to The Locksmith, unlocking your potential one episode at a time. In every podcast, we aim to inspire, equip, and empower you to live your best life now as you listen to our guests share valuable insights on living with purpose and maximizing their potential. Our guests are men and women of impact and influence, ordinary people living extraordinary lives who found the courage to unlock their potential and make a positive difference in our world. Our show is hosted by global leadership coach, Dr. Elizabeth van Geerestein, aka The Locksmith. Enjoy this podcast with our guest, Lisbeth Sechveld, human rights lawyer. Welcome to The Locksmith. So glad that you could join us. My guest is international human rights lawyer Lisbeth Zegveld. In 2016, Lisbeth was voted Most Valued Lawyer of the Year. In 2014, she received the Amsterdam Dean's Award. And in 2011, she received the Clara Meyer Wichmann Medal in recognition of her commitment to defending human rights. Lisbeth has worked on numerous high-profile cases focusing on war victims. She's also a professor at the University of Amsterdam, but today she's my guest. Welcome, Lisbeth. Thank you. It's such a joy and an honor that you would take some time out of your busy day to drop by to have a cup of tea with me. So uh, I'd offer you a Prosecco, but I understand you're working. So uh, it's great to have tea with you.
1: Thank you. How are you doing? Good. It's a um, good break of the day and I'm uh, very happy to be here with you yeah I, I understand that
0: it's uh, holiday time, so you've come out of uh, working, but also it's a week holiday for you and the kids. and you know it's this is so interesting when I look through at all you've done and the impact you've had, did you you didn't just wake up one day and become this? Not really no
1: so uh, So where did it all start? Yeah. Well, that's very difficult to, um, to pinpoint. I think when I look back, um, I've taken all the time the right turns or at least, yeah, to some extent, but never really with a focused decision. This is what I want to be until a certain moment, of course. And, but then I was really like over 30 years old. So, um, and then it, it happened with the first case that I thought this is what I really want to do. And but looking back, it was also really who I who I was and who I am, and all the things that I had done contributed to that to that moment and to that future. Um, but to say that it was uh, conscious and deliberate uh, work towards that goal, no not at all
0: yeah and and it's what I find really encouraging is that you say it wasn't until I was over 30 that I actually got that sense of direction so breaking it down did you always know that you wanted to be a
1: lawyer when did that become clear for you I am a lawyer it fits me extremely well but I didn't know I just didn't know um so I, I, I I did my PhD um and then I started to work with a law firm um, I had no particular field of experience that they uh, uh, had available in the firm that they offered clients. so they hired me for to do criminal law. So let's back up a little bit. Now, eighteen years old, why did you choose law at university? Um, again, unconsciously, but um, justice and truth are two things that um, that are that go deep to my heart.
0: Can you remember that at 18? Was that how you articulated it as no, an 18-year-old? No, old? not at all. So what kind of meaning were you making for yourself when you were 18? Just go back there. And what were you thinking of when you were applying for university
1: places? I think I could have done many things. But I, yeah, as I said, it was, it was a study. My, my father did law. Um, it was something that I apparently thought would fit me but believe me that I have no clear recollection that I that this was what I needed to do and I had all these high marks it was clearly something I never doubted it not before I had made this choice not when I was in the study that I doubted it not afterward but to say that this was with a certain goal in mind no did you really lie? Yeah, I loved it. Oh, wow. So there I was passion. It. You love law. Yeah. What did you like about it? Um, yeah, it's a stick to hit with for justice. Those two, to, to fight for those who lack the means to do so themselves. It's something that uh, you can use in a world that turns around power and money. Um, Is that what you saw at 18? No. So what did you see? Just law and getting high marks? I, well, or? you know... Uh, I've always been, um, I guess, someone who fights for justice. If I go back to my earlier years, I remember that my brother got a a low mark for an exam and I knew he was so good. It was was actually, it was English and uh, he was much better at English than I was and he got a lower mark than I did. And it made me so angry and um, and I threatened the school that I would um, go to the inspection. <laughs> <laughs> How old were you? Uh, well, that was in the exam years at, of, of high school, so I was eighteen, seventeen, eighteen. So you challenged the school authorities about your I brothers? Yeah, I didn't push through, but <laughs> I, ch- I, I I threatened. Um, and there are more uh, more examples um, of this. So I mean, you never really. Wrap up your life at that age. You're like, where am I? Where am I? Where am I going? At least not at that time. Maybe you know, younger people today would do that, but that, I, I, we didn't do that. But I can see all these examples, one after the other, and I understand that I didn't choose for law mm. and that it really fitted me. And because it's a, the rule is there, uh, if enforced you have something of a just society. You have something that everyone needs to obey, uh, whether you're a teacher, um, whether you're a student, uh, whether you're a president, whether you're uh, a farmer. No matter, the law should apply in an ideal world to everyone. And that that was, yeah, that attracted me. Mm. And still does. It still does. <laughs> still yeah, see absolutely. The, the, yeah. the
0: love and the passion. Yeah. And, and it's so interesting, you know, the reason why is so important. You know, I've spoken to many lawyers and I don't get the answer you're giving me. Some may no. speak about the life it gives them, the, remunera- the remuneration, uh, the, the big fees they earn or the different arenas that they were working. And when I ask you the same question, you speak about getting justice and upholding the rights of different people. So right there and then, we're hearing a, a huge amount of purpose. But when did it become clearer for you that this was how you were going to devote your your career, your, your working life in this
1: area? Um, well, I, I defended my PhD. Um, again, I was 29 years old. And I... Uh, um, they gave me cum laude for the for the PhD. So apparently they liked it. But then there was a professor who asked me this question. He said, this is nicely done. Um, congratulations with it. But all this theory, how do you think... And it was about armed conflicts and victims in armed conflict. And how do you think that you'll ever put this into practice? How will these rules on the laws of war ever be enforced? And... Um, I was looking at him. I remember this like like yesterday, and I thought that's that's such that's not such a good question. It's just so relevant. It's and you can't just keep writing all this stuff and uh, get this cum laude. What what does it mean for the people you write about? And I felt this responsibility that I should do something with it. And I think th- that was the first realization that. Um, um, The law and and in fact, the most difficult parts of the law, like the laws of war and human rights should be enforced and should be put into practice. And that too little efforts, too little money, uh, too little energy is put into that.
0: Mm. Yeah. So when did you start to do the cases that really began to move you?
1: Well, I was. I I then started in 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 um, in the law firm that I still in. I'm still in. Um, as I said, I started with criminal law, but then the f- uh, one of my first big cases was the Schreiber case, mm. and that was the beginning, and it just never stopped. Mm. That was huge.
0: That was huge. That was huge. That's really. Uh, so that really at that moment you really became uh, a public figure. Yeah. With that, that was a
1: yeah. landmark. Yeah. Case a landmark ruling. Still very young. I remember my client saying, uh, "When he first met me, he said, I had expected someone with grey hair and uh, glasses on.'" <laughs> and did, yeah. did it make you laugh? Um, yeah, I think so already at the time. Yeah, <laughs> so I, was, you, I was. We were the same age. I was thirty-three.
0: Uh huh. Yeah. Uh huh. And when do you feel? When have you felt? When have you felt? insecure and uncertain because i'm seeing in front of me you know someone who's you know very anchored very solid but as i said you didn't wake up and become this oh, no. yeah. when did when have you felt really insecure and in doubt
1: of who you are and what well, in you that have to come to i mean if i would say all the time that would be a bit of exaggeration but uh i, I think most of the time in that case i mean the 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 belief came from from deep within but i had no experience in civil law it was a civil law case um i had no real experience in court procedures um the the stuff we were dealing with was actually uh had never been dealt with in court at all not by me but by no one so from a to z it was new to me and generally new um And no one was really helping me. Uh, I had to do it on my own. Um, But there was a very deep belief that what had happened went went against the basic, the very basic notion of law. And also uh, what was very clear that if I wouldn't do it, no one else would do it. They had been to so many uh, lawyers, these uh, uh, victims of Schrebenitsa, and so far no one had been willing to help them. So it was also something like, you know, Let's just give it a try. And mm-hmm. I, yeah, I felt strong about it. And
0: and Lisbeth, just for some of our viewers and our younger viewers who may not be familiar with that case, just in a nutshell, tell yeah. us a little bit about that.
1: Yeah, it was a peacekeeping. So Benito was, a, uh, of course, the, 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 the uh, Bosnian Serbs that uh, surrounded the Bosnian Muslims in that safe area. Um, and that safe area was under, was monitored by a United Nations peacekeeping mission. And at the time, a Dutch battalion was serving there. And when the enclave fell, uh, many of the Muslim refugees fled to the United Nations compound, where then, uh, as I said, Dutch military were based. They were let in, uh, but then at a certain moment, they were pushed out again. They were expelled. And um, these people begged with the Dutch military to to be allowed to stay. Uh, And they were handed over to the enemy. And they were murdered it was a genocide um, and the dutch knew that that they would be killed um, and our client had a had a uh, uh, special relationship with the dutch uh, uh, Hassan Hasanuhanovich was the interpreter of Dutch Pet and the family Mushtevich were he was the electrician and uh, so they were at the very last one to be sent away, sent away on that uh, 13th July 95 it was just, uh, it was beyond imagination what happened there. <clears throat> so, um, and the difficulty, legally speaking, was that because it was a United Nations mission, the Dutch government said, this is a United Nations responsibility and it's not about us, really. Mm. We were wearing blue helmets and not green helmets. And that was the legal hurdle that we uh, we had to take.
0: And you represented the relatives of these two yes. men. Yes, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <coughs> Yeah. And how do you speak to relatives in these in these situations? What what do you tell them? So well, it's a little bit like just as an analogy, a little bit of a David and Goliath yeah. analogy. So what do you tell relatives who come to you?
1: Yeah. Well, today uh I may tell them different things uh, or I would say, uh uh yeah, uh, be different, I guess. And, and at that time, um, I think I didn't prepare them that much to a big loss. In that case, a big, you know, no from the district court, which was was the first uh, response we got in court. Um, what I remember, the the family Mustavic was afraid because they came from Bosnia and they were uh, they uh, were given refuge in the Netherlands, and they were afraid that if they sued the Dutch government, that at some point their house would be set to fire. Um, you know, they weren't used to a state where you could use law in order to uh, 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 to find justice. To get to, justice. Yeah, yeah. to regulate your dispute. Hmm. Um, that it they would trigger another war, a war between them and the government. So that's something I remember vividly that I explained to them that it wasn't something they should, should fear of. Um, um, Hassan... Um, I spoke to him recently. He said, I was so lonely at the time. He lost his mother, his father, his brother. He was basically alone. And he said, "Um, you were the only one I could hold on to. But at the same time, we had a professional relationship. So we had to keep distance uh, in order to be able to to do the job. Um, I... I don't remember it literally, but I think I was I was quite young to do such a big case uh, on my own. But I did it. And uh, what were you thinking at that time? Mm.
0: Well, lonely. You you were also lonely. Yeah, you were also lonely. Yeah. But kept going. And what what gave you the the strength to
1: keep going? Because I believed in the case. I was ashamed of my own country. I knew my own country, and this is something. Our own country shouldn't do. I I want to stand for my own country. Sometimes people say, uh, "How can you uh, sue your own government if you you know if you have this you have this nationality?" I said, "I do it for my own country. This is what someone should do." Um. Um. And the confidence we had in each other, mm. so the mutual confidence from our clients towards me and the other way around, we really. St- to together throughout the entire procedure which lasted uh, eventually it lasted 13 years mm. so n- n- neither of us gave up and that was they never questioned uh anything i did f- fundamentally mm. um so there was room to make mistakes there was room to raise doubts. um there was a human trust. And I think that's extremely important to be able to to work and to try. Mm. Did you ever, to try, so you didn't
0: see the end from the beginning. Did you ever consider what it would be like if you lost the case? How did that influence you?
1: We did lose in mm. the first round. Um, I don't recall that I actually envisioned myself losing because I had never lost. Um, it's a it's weird aspect of uh, of this profession that you can lose and you can win, and there's mm. nothing in between.
0: It's a bit like life;
1: you can it's lose a,
0: and you can win at the same time.
1: Yeah, <laughs> but I think many people stay in this gray in between area. Yeah, they don't experience experience uh, either. Mm. Um, and I love it, mm. uh, but losing is hard. You have to. Uh, I think we should all be more trained in losing, uh, because if you can't lose, you can't really make a next step either. Um, That's but, an interesting uh,
0: comment. We should all be trained in losing. I guess in another way, you're saying we should all we should all be trained in dealing with failure.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's extremely. Hard. It's maybe especially in our world, and once it becomes even more difficult when you. When you you are uh, uh, when you've become successful and you're seen to be successful, I think I was, it was easier for me to lose then than it is to do to lose now, mm. because expectations are so high now. You know, uh, journalists come to uh, when judgments are handed down and they said, well, you know, we're not going to make it, and they say, well, you never know with you, you never know, you know. You have done it so many times, and then I don't do it this time. And then what? And at that time, I hadn't won anything. I was just, I just came straight from university. I had no idea. I just gave it a go. And I, I remember you said, maybe, Lisbeth, you should go for winning. <laughs> Who said that? You said that. I said that. Yeah. You said that. I yeah. said, oh, yeah, you can also, yeah, maybe I should envision
0: yeah, yeah, but you not, know, I'm, I'm not that trained in failure. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm not that trained in failure. But I find it a beautiful thing that you just said. Why does it help us to have some understanding and some experience of
1: failure? Because that's the only way you can follow your heart. Because you, if you only do things because of a certain outcome... That you count on, um, you can never follow what's inside you. I, I truly believe in that. Yeah, that, that's know,
0: really profound. Yeah. Because only when you have felt the loss of something, then you find out if it means
1: enough for you. Yeah. And I. To yeah. keep going forward. Yeah. 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 And after the, the losses that we had, so, also so many of. It takes a few days, you know. It's a slap in your face. It's not easy. It's—I uh, would really be lying to say it's easy. And then I go home after the loss in in, in the district court of this case. We won in, in in appeal and for the supreme court. But in first instance, I we came out of the courtroom and I had to withdraw myself. And I uh, I had to fight against my tears. I called my husband and I uh, I just couldn't believe what I heard. I just I, apparently I wasn't prepared for it either. Um. And on other occasions, you go home, and it takes a few nights, and then on a certain morning, you wake up, and you go to have breakfast, and you feel, yes, but this is still what I want to do. Mm. It's still what I want to do. Still, so, it's still important to me. Yeah, 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 yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. Great, yeah. great.
1: Yeah. And in
0: 2011, you represented nine widows again against the the Dutch state for its involvement in the Raghvegade massacre in 1947, which their husbands were killed. Now, this was, you know, over 50 years later. Mm. Yeah. Why did you pick up? You won that case?
1: Mm -hmm.
0: What did that mean for you?
1: Mm -hmm. Well, yeah, that was huge in the sense that it, it concerned our colonial past Mm -hmm. Um, So that was the first case of many to follow. Uh, We won all of those cases. It was uh, summary executions by Dutch military in our former colony, the Dutch Indies. It was uh, torture uh, by Dutch military. It was rape. Um, So after this first case, many others followed. Um, And it was a a rewriting of our... uh, of the, the the image we had of how we had operated in our colony, and uh, worldwide this has haven't happened hasn't happened much. Um, there are no similar cases uh, like France on Algiers, You could imagine one case in Great Britain on uh, Kenya, but it's it's and all the t- you know. Th- we, the, the colonies had, had had been lost and uh countries withdraw on their own territory and life goes on and you leave behind the people that had faced these uh these tragedies you leave
0: behind broken lives yeah. often for generations yeah. to
1: come yeah yeah and you you know you leave them at uh, a thousand or more miles distance so they are not able to reach out to this mother country so mm. to speak mm. um so these people raised that vo- their voice uh, uh, through an, um, a foundation, and they um, they approached me. when I wanted to do it, and I said, "Well, you know, it's 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 indeed. It's uh, it was sixty four years ago, mm. and you have this time bars rules, so you won't be able to. Uh, 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 you w- it will be very difficult in uh, in court. But you know, let's begin. I'll write a letter to the government and see how they respond. And what turned out. Uh, to happen is that it it um uh, it, uh, uh, initiated a huge cry out in the netherlands uh, of of these uh these uh let's say these facts that weren't known by the majority of the dutch population and so the coverage in media was so extensive that this in and of itself created a case and yeah it changed the turn of events and ultimately also i guess changed the the position that the court took in this case and said yeah it may have been a long time ago but um we could not have expected these people to reach out to our country on their own and by themselves and the dutch should have acted much earlier to come to their help so yeah it was um, it's just only a few months ago the court of appeal has uh, confirmed that in the time bars do not apply to our colonial past uh, uh, atrocities. So you overturned a, a ruling.
0: You, yeah. you, your contribution. Yeah. Huge. Had yeah. that such a huge impact. You've overturned yeah. a fundamental part of. Yeah. One of the uh, constitutional laws. It's yeah. amazing. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. In 2011 and 2013, you represented family members of victims of the Videla regime in Argentina, who reported to um, um, Jorge Sorgeta, uh the father of our Queen Maxima of the Netherlands. And uh, you represented those victim, family members of the victims to the public prosecution service for his role in the regime.
1: Um,
0: was that scary
1: to do? Yeah, it was. And I must say, um, uh, before that, every now and then, we were invited to, the, to, the, to dinners uh, at the royal palace, uh, uh, invited by the, by the queen, um, where certain circles are invited, like professors on international law or uh, 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 international organizations. And I had been there twice, and after that case, that stopped.
0: You haven't been there <laughs> no, since. No, no, no,
1: no. So there may be a, a relationship, I don't know. But uh, yeah, well, scary is too big a word. Um, um, but it had an impact. For example, uh, uh, university. Uh, some of the university professors, uh, the university where I was uh, uh, working, uh, started writing letters uh, whether I should, you know, whether I wasn't mixing up two things and whether I really kept my uh, law practice separate from university work. So other people got scared by by my work and, and got scared by me. Mm. Um, yeah, that was a big, uh, big thing, and it was also big because I knew beforehand that we would never uh, make it. Mm. It was unthinkable that the Dutch prosecution would ever uh, uh, investigate a case of our uh, uh, queen's father. Mm. But I felt that, and and that could have been a reason not to do it. But the, I, um, you know, I, I had to do it. Because the victims were right, that was a was a point. If I hadn't done it, I would basically have placed myself on the on the chair of the prosecutor and making the decision already mm. uh, in in the prosecutor's place. That's not my role. Mm. My role is to represent people in fair cases.
0: Mm. So you felt the victims, the families of the victims, or the victims deserved a voice yeah. through their surviving family members. Yeah, yeah, and, and you were prepared to. Be that voice.
1: Yeah, to some extent, in, mm. at my own cost, I guess. Absolutely. Yeah, this case was uh, definitely at my own cost. Absolutely. Yeah. Do yeah, yeah, you regret yeah. it? No, no, not at all. No, no. If I hadn't done it, uh, I, I had, I had, would have regretted it. Yeah, yeah, mm.
0: yeah. Mm. <laughs> mm.
1: It's not a rose, uh, rose in This. Uh,
0: no, this and, field, and, no. and and there's followed such a series of high profile cases. One of the most recent, one of the most recent, was the um, ruling against the Dutch um, train service, the NS, yes, the,
1: rail- the, the railway service. Yep.
0: Say a little bit about that, and yep. maybe our listeners aren't that familiar. But I, but I love the story of your client, yep. Saleh Mula. Yep. Um, can we start with him and yep. and uh, yep. talk a little bit about that yep. case?
1: Yeah. So who was he? Well, he. Um He, uh, when the Second World War started, he was six years old, um, living in Amsterdam. Um, And both his parents were deported from Amsterdam to Westerbork, uh, that's at the Dutch border, to be then transported to Auschwitz, um, where they were gassed. Um, He, as a young boy, uh, was saved um, and then went into hiding at nine different uh, houses homes home. in in Amsterdam throughout in throughout the, Netherlands. In, throughout the I mean, Netherlands yeah home is too big a word it was a it's a very sad story He's written a small book about it so were
0: it. dutch were dutch people sending him from yeah. home to home yeah. to hide him yeah it yeah. was some kind of movement that were looking after children, or was it formal network? I,
1: yeah, I think it's a network. But that it was a network that mm. once it got too uh, uh, risky for that family, he they would move him on to, to another family, yeah. to another family. And then during the day, he would stay on the ground, underground, underground, in like cellars, cold and wet cellars. Uh, yeah, uh, yeah, just under the the, the, the chicken uh, uh, hock. Ch- chicken coops. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. So, yeah. Anywhere that people wouldn't think of looking, basically. Oh, f- no, yeah, Anywhere disgusting and in the night he could then uh, join the family but you know he he never became member of those families Mm. and the children would always you know he was he was the one who created the unrest of course course. it was a difficult period Mm. and so he would move on to the next one and he he um, uh, when the war ended he was nine years old he couldn't couldn't write couldn't read couldn't he had uh, um, uh, to uh, stammered. He, yeah, he stammered. Stammered, he had skin problems, so respiratory problems. Eczema, um, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And his parents were dead. Um, and he started to uh, build his own life. Uh, dedicated. Uh, feeling that his the only answer to this would be strength, building a career, looking after himself, met his wife whose both parents had also been uh, murdered in a uh, concentration camp. Um, he became the, um, p- uh, the physiotherapist of uh, our big football player. The uh, Ajax yeah. uh, football team. Yeah, football Johan t- Cruyff. Yeah. yeah. Mm. yeah. He was, and, and, and as such, he became a, a, a very known uh, figure, prominent figure in, uh, in Dutch football. Um, uh, seen on television uh, uh, all the time and then he he retired and um, wanted to do more about um, his past had, then had time to, uh, to think about his past and all the time back in his memory were these trains uh, his parents were taken away had been taken away with trains all the transports by the way to concentration camps had happened with trains he came to us um, and he said, I want to sue the railways. And I said, wow, oh, that's interesting. That's also <laughs> a long time ago and rather a big, uh, big thing. Who are you going to call? Yeah, call yeah, exactly. Call yeah yeah, 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 yeah. Well, he had, he had written uh, letters to the um, CEO of the railway uh, uh, station. Um, he got responses. They said, we do it collectively. We uh, remember the victims collectively. We have these monuments. We won't do individual pay payouts because that's that's you know, then we cross a certain uh, uh, limit we don't want to. That was it. And so he uh, he took a lawyer and I wrote a letter and then the railway said, oh, oh wow. You know, uh, okay, now if we go to court over this, we'll have to uh, defend ourselves by saying yes, it may not have been right uh, uh, transporting Jews to uh, uh, to the concentration camps, but the t- case is time-bought and they've the, the CEO, I must also say that this man personally put himself behind it. He, he believed something should be done about it. But he said, this is not what we want to say in court. So let's see and try whether we can solve this. And that's how it went. Hmm. We, uh, th- the case was settled. And that meant that for um, all the those who survived, who were on, put on transport but survived, or their children um, uh, a monetary uh, allowance was uh, uh, made available by the Dutch railways. And these are now being in the process of being paid out as we speak. Some, yeah, four to six thousand people uh, have claimed this allowance.
0: Well, never, ever underestimate the power of one. Yeah. If Mr. Yeah. Muller, uh, who already yeah. in his what was that eighties, he's eighty three, eighty four, and yeah. eighty or yeah. eighty early eighties, when he approached you yeah. to yeah. say, "Can you help?" Yeah. and you would already say, "Then uh, no way, you're just one person." Yeah, yeah. yeah. So what would you he say? He had been to all the
1: lawyers. He had been
0: before, but then yeah. again, one yeah. person. Yeah, and to keep going. Yeah, and to keep going, yeah. and then to come to one lawyer, you.
1: Yeah. Uh yeah again this was beyond my imagination as well. Mm. Um but it happened. But it, it happened. happened and it was big, big and I thought it can't get bigger than this. This is the biggest it will ever get. This yeah. is it. Now I have to stop. <laughs>
0: <No>! <laughs> this is the right moment to quit. <laughs> no, you're just you're <laughs> just getting started. <laughs> so so interesting. When when
1: have you felt like a failure? Um I don't think I ever have felt like a failure. Um, I don't think you ever are a failure. No one really is. You try, you make mistakes. Um, And I make mistakes. But I think these mistakes are necessary to then make, again, the right turn and take the right direction after. But a failure? No. No. Mm, beautiful. It says a lot about your beliefs
0: and your belief system. What do you think has been one of the most enabling beliefs that help you and have helped you through the different turns and twists of your life?
1: That the law should be applied. Well wow. just as simple as that. Yeah. What and a
0: if, naive thought
1: yeah. some people would say.
0: Yeah. But you dare to believe the naive. Yeah. And,
1: and it will be applied. Almost yeah. with
0: a simple childlike faith. Yeah. The law should be applied yeah. and I independently.
1: W- and and I will go after it. Yeah. 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 And it's not <clears throat> that's not about me um it's really not about me. It's really about justice, the rule of law, and the people who are entitled to live their own rights. Mm-hmm. That's it. And I'm, I wouldn't say I'm an instrument, but I'm, I'm kind of instrumental to that. And the risk is, I guess, when you move on, is that you, at some point you start believing that it is about you because you're, you've been doing it for such a long time and, and there's so much attention for what you do. But in the end, you're instrumental to that goal.
0: Mm, it's larger than you. It's bigger than you.
1: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah.
0: What do you love about your work?
1: Um, well, definitely the clients. Mm-hmm. And um, the um, bringing together different worlds. Um, so situations, uh, worlds that we find hard to imagine here in the Netherlands, where very... Uh, privileged of course um i myself as well um and then you you come across these cases you're dealing with cases that you know you can't even start imagining what it would be to live in that situation and and to to build that bridge is the the, in every each and every case i find that the most inspiring moment Mm. the start of a case reaching out to people and 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 Starting to get to know each other and see where the expectations lie, and yeah, yeah, mm. what do you find most challenging
0: there's always a flip side, but what's what's challenging what you I do. think
1: when the ruling is handed down, <laughs> mm. oh, that's a scary moment. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Are yeah. you sleeping the night before? Uh, not well. No, <laughs> uh, no. I mean, when there, uh, you know, political elections, you always have this poll that will uh, uh, predict, in a way, uh, well, it can be expected that there's, well, in a when the the, the case is done well uh, and the court has functioned well, you sh- should be able to anticipate a little bit the outcome. Uh, but still, it's uh, you know, it's always ten o'clock. Uh, either Tuesday or Wednesday. And, you know, 10 o'clock, you just don't know anything. Mm. And that, you also know that at ten fifteen, it's either win or lose. It's yes or no. Mm. And, that, and that colors everything. I mean, if it's yes, it will open an entire new world for you. Everything is then, you know, yeah, so much is then possible. Mm. If you lose... You have to deal with your clients of course it's a it's a it's a uh, huge disappointment uh, it's again i mean often these are traumatized people and their experiences uh, you know hard experiences and then another one um but also for me personally it's hard so mm. uh, yeah you have to be very strong uh, i mean winning is easy but losing is uh, yeah mm. demands a lot from mm. yourself
0: so how do you stay balanced and what do you love about life outside of the law
1: um, what else do
0: you love outside of life and how do you stay balanced recharged uh, happy not working too much mm. um, what you mean not working 120 hours a week uh, or? no no not no. at all no no no
1: no no I turned 50 uh, a few weeks ago and Which I, is the uh, new
0: 40, you realize that?
1: <laughs> I hope not. <laughs> <laughs> okay, <laughs> that means that I have to, to be twice 40 years and I, I worked so hard when I was 40. All right, all right. Yeah. So, no, no, I'm not going to do that anymore. No, I decided to take off the Monday, uh-huh. uh, for example, to do different things and to r- do really different things. And I thought if it's, it's an e- extension of the weekend, so you stay in a different mode, you... You stay in a different Sounds spirit. Good. Yeah, yeah, I might start doing that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I used to have the Wednesday uh-huh. because of the the free day of my uh, children, but then it was kind of a break in between, and the, so there's a spill off over from Tuesday and yeah. uh, starting again on Thursday. So it's 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 not very meaningful. So what do you do uh, on your Monday off? Uh, well, I only had, this was the first <laughs> one, but I um, I write a bit mm. uh, on very different things like. Uh, love and poems and uh so completely separate completely different from my uh, my work um so uh i walk uh i swim i uh, i sp- I, sp- I spend a lot of time with friends uh but yeah a time really time off you know mm. it's not 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 like uh another uh achievement or something just live you know mm. live life mm. is about something else than than what do i do and at the at the end of the day can i say this is what i've done today mm-hmm. what's next um well moving into this this new state um which is challenging i i i say it quite you know so okay this is what i've decided to take off the monday which is not an easy um an easy decision um if you i i I do, I mean, sometimes you get new uh, job opportunities. You're asked for this, you're asked for that. And I've made the decision that this is what I really want to do and I'll stay in in this. But you can't keep going the same way. You're changing um, um, as a person. So um, if I want to continue this, I have to to, uh, find the same uh, rewards in it and that means that i i will take a different role in these cases i'll approach them a little bit differently the team uh, takes a more a bigger role um i may become even more the creative uh, uh, person behind it than i already was so so to keep going uh, apart from you know taking on a, another job which i won't do um asks from you that you reflect on how you want to do it. And and you can reflect on that, but then you have to really change things because otherwise you will the skills are there, you will keep going because that's what you're used to. It's extremely difficult to change that. So uh, the Monday office, it was very important, uh, but also the selection of cases will be even uh, uh, stricter that I will take on only really very few cases um, it, that I can live and that I can make a difference with. Um, and that will also enable me to have more time for myself and, uh, yeah, to inspire others and be there for my children, which I already was, I believe. But, uh, yeah, enjoy them as long as they're still at home.
0: Mm. Yeah. So Lisbeth Zegveld, defender of the defenseless voice of the voiceless the um, conscience and the voice of the fatherless the motherless, the orphan the widow the least, the last the lost, the ignored thank you so much for dropping by to have tea with me Thank thank you thank you We never like to end this podcast without giving you an opportunity to equip and empower you to live your best life. Your future is inside of you and it's leaving clues all the time. Pay attention to what you pay attention to. Pay attention to the things that invigorate you. Pay attention to the things that make you furious. Pay attention to the things that impassion you and take note and Begin to lean in to those things that mean the most to you. Thank you for listening and join me next time for the next episode of The Locksmith. Thank you for listening. Please subscribe to our Spotify, SoundCloud, and iTunes channels. And we hope you join us again soon for the next episode of The Locksmith.